The Trilogy Podcast with Vin and Scott. Three movies, two men, one podcast. Prince of Darkness studies the world with hungry eyes. Prince of Darkness ready to baptize you in lies. Heart of evil, soul of blackness. Yikes, scary stuff. Scary business for Halloween. Yeah, spooky, spooky. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you the beautiful words of Alice Cooper, master of horror. Yes, poet laureate, I think, right? I believe he's been so deemed. Yes. And ladies and gentlemen, we are bringing you a holiday episode of the Trilogy Podcast, the only podcast in the universe devoted strictly to trilogies. No reboots. No straight to cable. We're bringing you facts, trivia, debate, and more to hell with the movie if they made four. Ooh. You like what I did there? That was uh, blood chilling. Bone yeah, curdling. Yeah. I'm Vin. I'm Scott. And this time of year, we like to bring our fans a Halloween episode. Something scary, a trilogy that goes along mm. with the, the, uh, the season, Scott, right? Yes. Last year, we did uh, Hotel Transylvania, which... Spooky. It really frightened a lot of people, and the year before that we did The Purge, which is no longer a trilogy. No. So this hasn't been as successful maybe as we hoped I, it I think this will be a successful one, though. I, I think, think it this is. will be a good one. It's uh, John Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy. That's right, a director's trilogy. Three movies by a director, and Phil... Is yes. joining us That's today. Right. The That's thing right, maybe. himself. Yes, the thing right. himself. The, the prince of dorkness. That's me. I am straight from the mouth of sadness. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're here and we're doing a director's trilogy. Okay, the three movies by John Carpenter that make up the Apocalypse trilogy are The Thing, The Prince of Darkness, and In the Mouth of Madness. Now, Scott, we've got a few other scary trilogies on our list in the Oh, the Horror category, but there's only a couple and we're saving them. All right. Yes. That's the Omen and Poltergeist. It usually seems with horror films, they either bomb and they only make one or they succeed and they make a thousand. Right. So it's hard to, you know, lock a horror or a thriller down to only three films. Right. It's convenient that we've got a director who's known for horror films, known for thrillers, a very unique trilogy. It's unlike the rest of the trilogies that we do. We've got a lot to cut through. Let's talk about what kind of trilogy this is. And the only way that we know how to do that is to bring in our friend, Trilogy Bot, to break it down for us. Do we have to? We yeah. have to. I know you don't like him specifically, Phil. Yeah, I don't. And he's, he's a pain. But this has to be done. I would rather the computer from the thing. Scott, steal yourself. Here he comes. John Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy is a director's trilogy. These films are not connected by a story, but instead are all helmed by the same director and convey his themes and style. That's right. I said style. Something Phil doesn't have. But he does have a dirty asshole. <laughs> I don't know what he said. I wasn't listening. You have to pay attention when he, when he says his stuff, Phil. It was obscene and, and really mostly focused on you. Well, he's a piece of shit, and I don't hear him in the room. But he makes a great point. This is a director's trilogy. Okay? Um, and what I think is kind of neat about director's trilogies in general, guys, is that they're least consistent from trilogy to trilogy because only the director is what links them. Right. So they can be about so many different things and go in so many different directions. But at the same time, guys, from movie to movie, these trilogies are often a lot alike because the director controls it. He auteurs the information. So you really see the similarity from film to film because it's one guy directing all the action. It's not a bunch of people's opinions contributing to the overall picture. It's one guy taking it all the way. Right. So I think they're unique. They're interesting. But rather than beat it to death, I'd rather just talk about these films. And the only way I know to talk about these films is to turn it over to my boy, Scott, who's going to give us the plots. Yes. Very simple. Bare bones. We don't like to really exaggerate. We like to go straight into the plots with no... Scott's plots! Scott's plots! Gonna be spooky Scott's plots! We're getting you! Hell's in the night! Spooky plots! Spooky Scott's plots! Let's hit him! 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 Let
Spooky scum and spooky plot. Spooky knocks on the door and lets him in. Cause he's spooky. Scotty got a spooky plot. Uh, I seem to walk into that every time. Yeah, it's weird. You think you would see it coming. Uh, okay. All right. So this is uh, Scott's Plots, um, where I give you the rundown of basically what happens in these movies without getting too specific. No real character names for you to worry about. Just the general what happens in the movies. That's for anyone who has seen these movies and doesn't care to rewatch them. Uh, or for anyone who hasn't seen them and doesn't care to ever watch them. Hmm. We got you covered. Yep. So, and with this kind of a, a trilogy, it's very, it's going to be very common that a person's only seen one of these movies or one or two. Right. Wasn't a planned trilogy, so. Right. So, we started all off with The Thing. 1982. In Antarctica, a hysterical Norwegian in a helicopter is trying to murder a dog and chases him to an American research station. Every movie should begin that way. Where no one speaks Norwegian, so they kill him. <laughs> Great shot. <laughs> Through the visor. It all could have ended right there. Learn Norwegian. How many horror movies have someone in another language giving the information that everyone needs and no one speaks that language? Yeah. The dog killed all of my friends. Okay, shoot it. The cool guy of the group and a doctor go to the Norwegian base and find it has been burnt to the ground. Among the wreckage are the Norwegian crew's frozen corpses and one strange-looking burnt twisted corpse which they bring back to their base. Stupidly. Naturally. <laughs> That's what you do. The dog is placed with other sled dogs, and the dog becomes a shape-shifting alien creature who begins to feed on and absorbs the remainder of the dog. No one at any point casually like notices that there's a dog that's out of the pen and just hanging out with them for the whole day under the pool table. Everyone's like, hey, what? The crew hears the noise, and they burn the creature with a flamethrower. In the Norwegian data, they find the location of an excavation site where they discover the creature's spaceship and estimate that it's been buried for 100,000 years. The twisted corpse from the Norwegian station comes alive and assimilates one of the crew members but is caught halfway through and burned alive. Yeah, j constantly with the fires, with the burning alive. It's <laughs> yeah. not working, fellas. It's not working. Yeah. It seems to be the only thing they've got, though. Yeah, they don't have bullets. <laughs> bullets aren't going to do shit. Meanwhile, yeah. Brimley's pulling out the organs, talking about it's a perfectly formed body. Well, it's got two <laughs> splitting heads. So yeah. there's something wrong with it, Brimley. I, I do I do like that part, too, because the first thing I thought, was, he's like, well, it seems what we got here is a whole bunch of jello. Look at this. Like, I immediately thought he was going to go, I think he's got diabetes. <laughs> The biologist in the crew gets paranoid and sabotages all their means of escape and communication in an effort to stop the creature from leaving. And the rest of the crew locks the doctor in a shed. Now I'm going to stop right there. At this point, has he been corrupted by the alien? No. No, he hasn't. No, he's, he's just going crazy. I honestly, uh, I mean, I think they leave it up in the air. Brimley's computer comes up with just a ridiculous extrapolation yeah. of how many hours oh, it'll yeah. take before the universe explodes or yeah. whatever. Font <laughs> 300, five <laughs> words take up the whole screen. Yeah. They decide to do a blood test to see if any of the crew are the creature and find someone has destroyed their supply of blood. After finding a shredded jumpsuit with the cool guy's name on it, which I imagine just says cool guy across yeah. the back of it. Guy comma cool. <laughs> I'm guy cool. The crew become suspicious of the cool guy and try to lock him out of the station. Cool guy barges his way in and threatens the crew to let him in. During this, one of the crew turns out to be the creature and kills the doctor. Yeah. They burn the creature, but the head <laughs> attempts to escape. <laughs> Leading cool guy to theorize that each part of the creature is singular and will protect itself, leading him to suggest a blood test where they place a hot wire into a petri dish of everyone's blood. Can I just say though? I want to say something too. Go ahead, Phil. All right, thank you. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I have described that scene in particular so many times to so many women, and thus I have seen so many women's eyes go dead in my life. <laughs> Not a good pickup. Line no, for you, not Phil. At all. Hasn't worked. <laughs> you ever seen the thing? They place a hot wire into a petri dish of everyone's blood. This works and reveals the creature among them who kills another crew member before being burnt. When they go to test the paranoid biologist in the shed, they find he has escaped and is starting to build a spaceship. <laughs> Ridiculous. 
<laughs> really? I'm going to space. Well, for Brimley. <laughs> I hope they got insulin in space. <laughs> My last place says space beaters. It's a prelude to the cocoon. He wants to find that planet where he never gets old. Oh. No one ever dies. When they return, one of their crew members is missing and their generator is destroyed. Oh, boy. The cool guy realizes the creature wants to hibernate until a rescue team arrives and decides to blow up the base. The paranoid biologist shows up, morphs into the creature, and the cool guy detonates the dynamite, destroying the base. The cool guy sits alone, watching the base burn, when the missing crew member shows up and sits with the cool guy. Unsure if the missing crew member is the creature, the cool guy hands him a bottle of something. The crew member drinks. The cool guy chuckles. The station burns. The end. <laughs> I love that ending. That's a, that's a perfect ending. I'd suggest to you it's one of the top ten best endings of all time. Yeah. I mean, it's Both. a very famous ending. Yeah. So it's like the la two last cool guys. Yeah. Two last people are like the Keith other. Keith David's pretty cool. Yeah. Childs. Is his yeah. Name. Yeah. But yeah, th this is uh, you know a hotly contested. Uh, what actually happens? At Which the one end is here. the thing? It's right. I, is it? I think it might be neither. Well, because um, I actually you know sometimes I'll read other plots to like refresh my memory or you know think of the best way to say things basically. Sure. Um, and I saw one that just simply described it as them seeing the futility and being paranoid of each other, so they enjoy a drink, and that's the end of the movie. I read something yeah. like that too. They, they die in the cold, but the end. But I like the the popular theory is that uh, it's a bottle of gasoline that he's mol their Molotov cocktails that he's throwing earlier, and he hands Childs the bottle of gasoline. He drinks from the gasoline, and he knows that Childs is the thing. Ah, oh, what a cool little fan oh, theory wow. that is. Yeah, that's like pretty that. slick. Yeah, that's the other ending I, I, I was like, I like that a lot better. Yeah, I think that's that, pretty that cool. makes sense. Uh, and the next movie, of course, is Prince of Darkness. 1987. A priest enlists the help of a quantum physicist and his students to investigate a slime-filled barber pole in his church's basement. <laughs> I describe it later as a giant test tube, but that's much better. It is a big green barber pole. Text found on the barber pole describes it as the embodiment of Satan, and it begins broadcasting messages through streams of data deciphered by the students. The barber pole begins squirting slime into people's mouths and possessing the students to kill each other. And that's really the key, isn't it? The idea that you've somehow got to get that liquid onto and people. And get it right in the splash mouth. it out, it comes in like a nice Disney splash, like from the pond in a splash yep. mountain. Like, yeah. a, like a little bloop. Like the ponds that like it spits back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Into the mouth every time. It just seems like the production guy just ordered too narrow of a faucet. <laughs> and everybody was like, well, Harry, I guess... I guess it's like, in, with it. it's like in Ninja Turtles when in the middle of the karate fight, Raphael squirts water into the foot's face and he's stunned. Yes, from and his it. mouth is a clamshell. Like how the fuck? Yeah, is and this perfect stream of water just shoots out at it. Well, that's every single person who gets the juice squirted in their mouth is keeping their mouth open for too uh, long. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Absorbing the whole thing yeah. and right close, in my mouth. Close your fucking mouth. <laughs> stop! Stop being yeah. so aghast. Don't swallow. <laughs> you're look. You're drinking Satan. You're drinking Colombian decaf crystals. You, <laughs> son of a bitch. You son of a bitch. There's also a large group of homeless people surrounding the church who will kill anyone who tries to leave. The quantum physicist and the priest theorize that Satan may actually be the son of a greater godlike demon who lives in a realm of antimatter. It's just ridiculous. Complete speculation. It's complete nonsense, and everyone says so, and everyone who says so eventually dies. And the priest is like, <laughs> my whole life's work, meaningless. Yeah. What the fuck have I been doing my whole life? This whole time. <laughs> what a waste. And of course, fucking Wong is like, ah, I knew it the whole time. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess we're fucked. He sits comfortably the entire movie. Do you notice that? He doesn't have to escape any danger. He just shows up. Yeah. He like, represents the notion of philosophy very yeah. well in that respect. Yeah, Like the weight of existence is on him. Because he's like shriveled like Yoda. But know. at the same time, he's comfortable but uncomfortable with yeah. it. Okay, okay, you know. Like Richard Dreyfus, except Richard Dreyfus is more uncomfortable, uncomfortable. I don't know where you're going there, Phil. I mean, just look at him. Look at him in his skin. Okay, okay. Look at his skin, Vin. His skin looks like it's trying to <laughs> don't, leave. Don't encourage him. It's ridiculous. Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> I don't know what he... I don't, sorry. Scott. Soon, everyone in the church begins to have the same vision of a dark figure exiting the church. 
they discover that this is actually a transmission from the future, instructing to stop this vision from becoming reality. One of the students starts developing a strange cross-like symbol on her arm. The students are chased by the possessed and end up trapped separately around the church. <laughs> okay. What, Phil? Go ahead. This is not even really for me. I just want to get your thoughts really quick on time travel entering the trilogy podcast again. I, 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 mm. I just really wanted to know what you felt. I was going to I was going to save my rage at the time travel angle till later, <laughs> but yes, it is yet another trilogy that involves time travel. The time travel in this film involves tachyons that are a warning from the future, sent from 1999. And it was shot on video. So it's like not, they haven't, gra well, it's pretty true they haven't graduated from digital, you know, from VHS, so it's. What, Phil? What know. do you, what, huh? I'm just saying, in the, in, the, in the timeline of 1999. Scott, more time fucking travel. When you saw it, were you fucking, could you even believe it? I didn't even think about it because it doesn't bother me nearly as much as it bothers me. Yeah, it really you. doesn't bother me at all. Surely, <laughs> though, you acknowledge that so many of our trilogies yeah. involve yes, time do. travel, right? This is a different kind of time travel, though. This is... Right. This is something to do with the weird emergence of the theoretical physicist and world and like supernatural. Mind you, it's not time travel. No one travels through time. No, they're just no, dreaming. A, a it person backwards. doesn't travel through the, time. The dream right? is they, a time travel send, warning. Yes, they send through the quantum realm. Yeah, <laughs> because send, it's particularly loose in that they area. They send a because, message well, back. I just think that it's sloppy. A lot of that time travel stuff. It's not time travel. It's all right. <laughs> it's like transmission through time. Can we say time travel esque? No yeah. one's traveling, just the missing. All right, I get that the traveling part is different. <laughs> Jesus. It's reminiscent, but... Yes. Thank you. I'll take reminiscent. It's just another mystery. Okay. Phil, you started this. I did. I did. You're right. I guess the message travels through time. True. So true, true. Thank you. I'm wrong. <laughs> I guess. Go ahead. A wise-cracking student gets trapped in a closet where he watches two possessed students bring the barber pole to the student with the symbol and feed her all the slime, transforming her into Satan. But what? then she's pregnant for like an hour. Way yeah. too much time is devoted to this entire scene of him hey, trying to break his way out through on the and wall. On. It's so strange. It's so, the, the fucking lady on the bed with the pregnant belly that we never saw the payoff of. Well, I was waiting for that thing to well, explode. No, because I think God, what damn it. I think what happened is her belly filled up with all the juice, oh. and then the juice seeped into the body. Oh, and then that's what but made her I, I extra did think, toasty. I did think she was going to poop out, or not poop out, but give birth to Satan. There. Yeah. Something should have happened with the stomach, no doubt about it. But it like flattened out eventually, yeah. and then the skin changed and yeah. Satan with Ugh. the wig on. <laughs> I was waiting the whole time for the pull that wig off and just be like, I'm Satan. What do I need this for? Yeah, he's like, I came all the way off. back here and I look like an idiot. Yeah, what am I doing? <laughs> it just <laughs> Look what I'm wearing. This is ridiculous. Great. It's got like kitties on it or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm Satan. Satan. Satan's like great. I'm a I'm a girl in a nightgown. I'm taking over the <laughs> yeah. world. I'm a girl with a ponytail. This is <laughs> all right. Scary. The girl who turns into Satan walks to a mirror and attempts to pull through her godlike dad, but one of the students tackles her into the mirror and the priest shatters it after trapping Satan, the god demon, and the female student in the antimatter realm. The homeless people leave and the students are safe. That night, one of the students has the same dream, but with the female student in place of the dark figure. Mm. Now, mm, that's your boyfriend that has that dream. Yeah, but they're boyfriend. Would you call them boyfriend? Girlfriend? They've been fucking for two days. And yeah. he made it like, yeah. I mean, they made it like they were getting married. Yeah. Like, He's oh, I guess this is going to work out. Like, dirty mustache. That's a gross mustache. Yeah. Dirty but blonde also, mustache. So I, I was reading, again, reading another plot for this movie, and they described it as the dream wasn't fully revealed, right? That it was always her when you saw her in the dream. And not it wasn't true. Not yeah, true. I don't think that's the case. It was that's a different true person in the I silhouette. just wanted to make Clearly sure. the events at the end of the movie they changed, changed the, it, yeah. and it still is still now a threat, but it's her at the helm. That's how I took it as well. Obviously. Yeah. But yeah, I just wanted to double check that <laughs> was correct. The people in 1999 are like, are you serious? <laughs> they're, they're waiting. They're right there. Yeah. The door opens up like, who the hell is that woman? You didn't actually like, help us. You just exactly. made it feminine. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that, that was Prince of Darkness. Right. And yep. we're moving right along to In the Mouth of Madness. 1994. A former insurance investigator is in a mental hospital where a doctor asks him to tell him how he got there. 
During lunch with a friend, the investigator so is... So the whole movie is a flashback. Yes, yes. More or less. I mean, the last 15 minutes maybe yes. happens after, but... Right. All Everything you're seeing has already happened. Okay. Essentially. During lunch with a friend, the investigator is asked to look into a publishing company's claim that their author, who has a new book coming out that claims to drive people insane, has gone missing. When suddenly, a man with an axe, who turns out to be the author's agent, smashes through the window attempting to kill the investigator before he is shot by a cop. And that's the signature memorable scene of the film. It was used in all the publicity when that movie came out. The idea of that guy coming from soft focus into hard focus as he comes to the window right. and breaks through. Very cool scene. Yeah. You remember like books yes. when books have Do commercials? You read Sutter Kane. That's what it seemed like when the guy's like, Do you read Sutter Kane? <laughs> Sutter Kane's new book. <laughs> A chilling exploration of one man's insanity <laughs> in the mouth of man. Freeze, please! We're building a commercial! <laughs> The investigator meets with the publisher, who tasks him to find the author with the help of his editor. The investigator begins reading the author's books and discovers that the covers of the books make a map that leads to the fictional town that the author's works take place in. Really? All these mega fans, no one figured out that the dotted part on the front of the book is a map in New Hampshire? They set out to find the town, and after going over a strange bridge, they arrive in the fictional town and begin meeting the author's characters, and even find the author, who appears to have dark powers, is holed up in a church. You cut through a lot of action there, yeah. namely like a half an hour long car ride that never seemed to come to an end. Yeah, there was no need to mention yeah. that. Also, this feels like Castle Rock. This feels like it was yeah. foretelling Castle Rock. Like by twenty years, it's obviously oh, yeah. ripping it's off the Stephen idea King. of Stephen yeah, King. Yeah, but entirely. this is exactly what Castle Rock does. I, I don't know if anyone's seen it. Hobbs End is Castle Rock. Yeah, but yes, no, but this, Phil, yeah. the series well, it yeah. is exactly this. But Phil, not you're very acting good. like you're coming to a revelation. Clearly, this is patterned off of Stephen King. Yes, yeah, it is. Or, well, also H.P. Lovecraft. That's what I think when I think of this. The story and the character of Sutter Home is Sutter Home. Sutter King. You know. Yeah. Just like Stephen King. You yeah. know, there's also a uh, a rapper named Sutter Kane after this movie. I oh, he was last night. a big fan. The investigator believes it's all been set up as a publicity stunt. And although the editor admits the claim started as a publicity stunt, the town was not part of it. And it's real. Sam Neill, get it. Okay? Get it. It's obviously not fake. Yeah. You, hit, you hit a guy on the road with your car during the trip there, and he just got up and bicycled away. Think also, maybe something's going on? it's a guy who's also a kid. He's like a kid. The white-haired man o of old not- Old man with a kid voice. Yeah, not scary. He wouldn't well, let me leave. Because I think he was riding the bike for so long. Oh. That it became an old man. See, I he didn't, was like, he won't let me leave. I didn't get that at all, and I just hated that the old white-haired man on the bike. I'm like, who is this guy? Yeah. The editor goes to confront the author and is forced to read the book, driving her insane. The investigator tries to leave the town. Meanwhile, what are these people, speed readers? You jam their face into the book for one second, they read the whole book? You just read the title page, apparently. Yeah, and stop saying read the book. Unless you glimpse at the book. Unless you got that, you know, Meteor Man power, where you just touch a book and it's like you've read it. Is um, that anything like The Rocketeer? No. That's why I stayed away from it, because I felt like it had to do with The Rocketeer. No, it had, it had, if, no, no. All right, look. <laughs> I'm just saying. The investigator tries to leave the town, but every time he tries to leave, he ends up back in the town. The investigator tries to leave the town, but every time he tries to leave, he ends up back in the town. The investigator tries to leave the town, but every time he tries to leave, he ends up back in the town, uh, leading him to crash his car and wake up in the church with <sighs> the author, who tells him an ancient race of monsters has been talking through him, and they're coming to take over the earth. Just babbling on and on, babbling. He also tells him that the investigator is just a character in the story and gives him a manuscript of the new book to bring back to his publishers. The investigator escapes and destroys the manuscript. When he returns to the publishers and tells them what happened, the publisher is confused and tells him he never sent the editor with him. It might just have been Charlton Heston senile and not remembering. Oh, <laughs> why would He keeps yeah. questioning himself. He's like, if you came here... Why would I not remember it? Why would you do that? Why, why, why? The publisher is confused and tells him he never sent the editor with him and that the investigator already delivered the manuscript months ago and that the movie version is coming out soon. Believing he's a character in the book, the investigator approaches someone reading the book and kills them with an axe, commenting that he shouldn't be surprised if he read the book. 
The investigator is arrested and committed, bringing us back to the beginning scene. The next day, the asylum has been attacked and abandoned. As the investigator leaves, he hears radio reports of monstrous creatures and mass murder. The investigator walks to a movie theater where he watches the film version of the book starring him and realizes he was the main character of the story all along. Ha 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 I'm crazy. Okay, we get it. It's so meta at the end there, and you're it, like, yeah, I that's, just didn't. that's the main problem with it, I think, is just it's too there's no the movie is, there is at no point any truth that you can grab onto. Yep. In that's, the movie. That's a, that's a you know? great way of, yeah. of kind of looking at it. So it's kind of just slips slipping out of your hands. Exactly. The whole the, you're time. trying to find like, the baseline every time and they keep, like, ah, there is none. They keep betraying you. Yeah. yeah, it runs away from you, and it's just Sam Neill being an asshole the whole the whole time. <laughs> yeah, he's an asshole. He's chain smoking. Yeah. yeah, he's trying to get some pussy. If it had only been Sam Neill as an insurance investigator, I would have liked this movie. You are a fucking lying junkie cunt. All right, gentlemen, because this is a director's trilogy, the first thing we're going to talk about with respect to the production values and the scope of these films and characters is the director. And that's John Carpenter. Yes. Now, Phil, I know you are an expert in horror. You're a big fan. That's why you're here right now. Also, we love your pretty face and mustache. Oh, thank you. All right. So I'm going to direct some of these questions to you about Carpenter because I assume you'll have some answers for me. Probably. Is Carpenter, guys, part of the trilogy of horror directors that have been big in the last um, 25 to 50 years? And I, I would say post-Hitchcock, the big three are Craven, Barker, and Carpenter, yes? Barker, not so much. I would say it would be like Carpenter, Romero. I hadn't even thought of Romero like that. Very good. So yeah. yeah. So he's part of the big three. So say Romero, Craven, Carpenter. Sure. Like his biggest stuff was from the 70s to like the late 80s. I think Prince of Darkness. Okay, well now, Carpenter, guys, is known for um, yes. horror films or action films that have a horror or sci-fi element yes. to them in some way. Basically. Big John Ford fan, loved Rio Bravo. Everyone, most of his movies are sort of patterned on that. He's generally considered to be the kind of filmmaker that's made a lot of bombs, a lot of failures sure. that were perceived as not very good at the time. And now in looking back are considered classics and cult classics. Well, that's the yeah. thing. Well, first, let's talk about the movie that broke him. That's going to be Assault on Precinct 13. Yes. All right. And that was a uh, took Europe by storm. Yeah. That's what kind of put him in the position to make Halloween, which I would say is his most famous, biggest film. Yeah, I would agree. It's one of the top three horror films of all time, I would suggest, if not the number one horror film of all time. Yeah. To a lot of people, yeah. arguably. Right? Well, yeah. I, would. I mean, it's up, you know, it's up there with the big three of, I think, horror movie characters. Yes. Which is Michael Myers, Jason, Jason and, and Freddy. Freddy. And it really set the standard for that slasher type of film, right. that new kind of horror film. Right. Where it's the one deranged guy going after people, right? Right. This yes. is breaking away from the the world of the Wolfman and Frankenstein. There we and go. Dracula. He went on to do the Fog, and he made Escape from New York, which yes. started yes. his his love affair with Kurt Russell, well, who he used in other films. I I, I will uh, correct you there. Go ahead. So they worked first on the Elvis uh, movie. Okay. Okay. Although it didn't get a theatrical release, so I understand if we have to excise this conversation it's a big, and uh, and kill you. Sorry, man. The movies that he made that aren't a part of this trilogy, frankly, are the ones that I like the best. Me too. We're talking, we're talking They Live, starring Roddy Piper. I've got a poster Ooh. on my wall. Phil, you can see it to your right all the way down the hallway. It's been there for 15 years. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. We're talking Big Trouble. And little China, Scott. Yeah. But then he also, I think, had a softer set of movies, too. Starman. Memoirs of an Invisible Man with Chevy Chase. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, that was um, a fun movie. But again, more of a light, more of a lighthearted film. Also that, with Sam Neill. In later years, he did movies like Village of the Damned. Uh, Vampires, you mentioned before, Scott. Yes. That's with, right. With uh, James Woods. His last successful film. Uh, Ghost of Mars, which was a big bomb. Oh, yeah. And actually, the last movie he did was a movie called The Ward in 2010. 
Yeah, which, small, small movie. Small movie that didn't do anything. So mm. that's John Carpenter. He's got a lot of cool movies. Yeah, he's multi-talented too. He did the score here. for all of his movies except for like The the, the Thing and a few others. Yeah, that's right. He did the, a lot of his scores are heavy synth scores. Yeah. In the last few years, he's been doing more music than movies. Okay. He's, man, he's got a, an ear for fucking synth. I mean, even in, he's if he's mimicking another artist like In the Mouth of Madness, he's just doing fucking Enter Sandman. But other yeah. times. <laughs> oh boy, it's, it's so like, obvious. It's it's he's on when he's on he's on. I even I was like, ooh, Scott and I can begin this one with Enter Sandman. I'm like, this is an Enter <laughs> Sandman. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, he called this his apocalypse trilogy. Okay, um, and picked these movies, which is strange to me because again, they're not his best films. Right. All right. So in the thing, it's it's an alien apocalypse. In Prince of Darkness, it's a religious apocalypse. And in the Mouth of Madness, it's almost a reality apocalypse. Yeah, sure. Okay, if you're bringing it down in terms of apocalypse, but I don't even think he thought of it that way. He basically, and this is all I could find, called them that because those are the three films that for him ended in the bleakest way, in the bleakest way for humankind. Right. So th that's the angle that he took. But I love They Live. That's I mine. love They Live. <clears throat> I love The Thing. The Thing's my favorite. What about you, Scott? I love Halloween. Halloween. Yeah. Halloween. Okay. Yeah. So that's the man who we're devoting this to, guys. All right. He is a legend in this business, especially in the horror world. Phil? Yes, I at, absolutely agree. At all your conventions and things, I'm sure people are... Oh, people from his movies, sure. I'm sure there are many thing reunions. In fact, at this Chiller Theater coming, uh, there's going to be a thing reunion with a few folks, including Wilford Brimley. Oh, I like produce, but I don't like Hollywood. Gentlemen, The Thing was based on a 1938 book... Who goes there? It received terrible reviews when it came out. I can't believe that. It barely made its money back, but now it's considered one of the best horror movies of all time. And the best special effects, the, what people go to when they talk about how practical effects matter. Like, yeah. this is the movie that everyone quotes as, it, like, scenes, whole scenes. Um, and it's Rob Bowden is the guy in, who is uh, sort of to blame for that. He made those effects fucking top-notch. I wonder, do you think it didn't do well because people thought of it as a remake of the old one? Well, the speculation as to why it didn't do well is because it came out at the exact same time as E.T. Oh, now, yeah. E.T. was considered a very positive look at UFOs and aliens as opposed to this, which is very nihilistic look. Just another it. story of Steven Spielberg fucking over one of the founders of modern horror. But this was a very hot time for sci-fi movies. At the exact same weekend this came out, Blade Runner came out as well. Oh, oh really? shit. Okay. Also and th flopped. And the same year, the same year we had Conan the Barbarian, Poltergeist, Star Trek The Wrath of Khan. So like I said, fantasy sci-fi, it was an oversaturation of the market. Yeah. Was, and that's why they speculate now it didn't do so well. But boy, it had a lot of trilogy relationships involved in it. Um, I don't know. We were talking about it before. The music was by who? Ennio Morricone. Oh, yeah. Who did the music for the uh, Man With No Name trilogy that we liked so much. Yeah. Um, but also, this movie was written by uh, Burt Lancaster's son, who also wrote the Bad News Bears trilogy. Oh, oh shit. So we got a lot of good trilogy action going Seated on Seated with trilogy superstars. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Phil, can you talk for one second about the influence this movie may have had on other directors? And Oh, oh the gore has uh, influenced so many people. Uh, this movie, I mean, a lot of the slow horror movement by Ty West and like the mid to late aughts that began is a lot of people just being in love with the 80s still. And when people think of the 80s, they think of the cheesy stuff. But like a lot of them, like the what you're missing is the slow burn in this. Okay. And I think like um, this movie and The Fly are two examples of excellent remakes. Hey, I think of when we did The Evil Dead and the effects in the second movie. Yeah, yeah. it's a little similar in, in this movie. Those kind of practical effects. You yes. can yeah. see the influence. Thing. Motherfucker looks just like the thing. And that's the whole thing. We've got a lot to say about this, but I'm going to go on now to The Prince of Darkness where there's so much less to be said. It's kind of just a crappy horror movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, uh... Um, it generally got, well, it got bad reviews when it came out, yeah. just like The Thing. Um, but this was the first of a three-picture deal that Carpenter got from Alive Pictures, which is, I've never even heard of it. It's defunct now, where he was given $3 million per film plus total control. What were the other two films? I don't know. 
but because there wasn't even a thing on <laughs> Wiki- your fucking business. There wasn't even a thing on Wikipedia for a live films. It wasn't even highlighted. It yeah. was that unimportant. Yeah. So Phil, don't look it up right I'm now. Right, I'm right, I'm because right. I can't. The point is, this one made money because it was only made for three million dollars. Um, but again, movie is considered to have a cult following now. People like it and they look it's back on it. It's the producer of this film is also Alice Cooper's manager. Shep Gordon. Right. So that's why Alice Cooper is featured so prominently. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're stuck. We're stuck. In the Mouth of Madness was made for $14 million and made $8 million. Considered a failure. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> guys, all right. Um, it's also been reappraised now, and people are saying that it if by it was, who? If it was, I want to re- know who. If it was released now, it would be a it would be a giant hit. This and that. I don't know about yeah. that. And again, it got poor reviews. So that's just a general overview of these films. All right, now, guys, because these are, um, you know, there there's not a, a narrative that that goes through these. It's not going to have any of the same actors in it. So I picked the main actor of each of the films to kind of talk about. And then we'll talk about some of the more supporting actors as we go along later. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Kurt Russell. Cole. Oh, a cool guy. Yeah. He's, he's a cool, cool guy. guy. There's no mistaking how cool he is. Ooh. He's got a fun hat. He's got sunglasses. He's got a leather jacket. He's got the big beard, the big hair. Yeah. He's cool as shit in this movie. He is the coolest guy on campus and everyone hates him. Disney's last words. Kurt Russell. Is that right? It's the last thing that he said. He also recorded a version of Sugar. Um, Sugar. By the Archies? Oh, honey, honey. Yeah, but it's him. Who? Kurt Russell. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Used Cars. Oh, I love it. I saw that at the New Beverly. It's a movie that broke him. Yeah. As an adult. Yeah. Escape from New York. And then later, L.A. The character's name is Snake Plissken, which sounds like a... Like a dick, like a snake pliskin. Like your snake is coming out of your pliskin. He's even got one eye. He's a real sorry. I think snake is just a cool name and eye patches look cool. I don't think he constructed the character to be a penis in any way. Um, So you have your theories. I have mine. (laughs) Overboard. Oh, yeah. The the best horror movie. The rape film. It's great. Yeah. He he gaslights a woman into being his wife. Forget about the current climate. In the 80s, when this came out as a little kid, I turned to my mother and I was like, this doesn't. That's weird. Is he My the bad guy? My parents love this movie. This doesn't feel right. Um, Captain Ron. Oh, yeah. I like Captain Ron. Stargate. <laughs> and um, a personal favorite of mine, Tango and Cash. You love Tango and Cash. Love a little Tango and Cash with Stallone. I love the wide shots where you see Sylvester Stallone's platforms are like six inches high off the ground just to get up to Kurt Russell's height. Nowadays, he's mostly uh, doing Tarantino films. Yeah, but he's also like, he's showing up as the grizzled old guy now. He's finding a new type. He's the character in um, the Guardians of the Galaxy too, right, Scott? Yeah. Yes, he's uh, Peter Quill's father. Okay. Ego. You really need to grow up. The representative, I suppose, from Prince of Darkness has got to be Donald Pleasance. Oh, yes, yes. The priest. Thank you. Michael. Um, Phil, you have a lot of information about him. He's actually a trilogy superstar, guys. Yes, he is. He's in Oh God. So George Burns is sort of his Michael Myers in in those movies. He's chasing him down and trying to stop him. Michael. uh, God. George George Burns. Where's my gun? A fun fact about his, him and his gun, what? he was a conscientious objector in World War II until he discovered the horrors of war and was like, give me a gun. That's just like the, uh, Halloween 4, right? Is yeah. When he's trying to stop Michael Myers and at the end, the little girl stabs him and he's about to shoot the little girl because he realizes no, no. Yeah. you have to stop her. She's another Michael. Yeah. Mostly known for horror films in the 60s, 70s and 80s. Yeah. Did a lot of uh, amicus and, and for horror, playing evil characters. Horror, yeah. Um, he, grave robbers, scientists, Blofeld. People, people say he dis, he inspired the character of Doctor Evil. Yeah, his his portrayal of Blofeld yeah. is super in, close. Uh, James Bond. Yep, and of course the role that in most people's minds um, made him famous, um, Loomis, in Halloween. Michael, you may think you are normal, but you are all the product of mutation. Sam Neill, gentlemen, is the star of In the Mouth of Madness. Yeah. Besides, yeah. I would say besides Kurt Russell, the biggest star in any of these three movies. No question about oh, it. Yeah. Trilogy Superstar Times Four. You got this one. You got Jurassic Park. The movie that broke him, Omen Three. So he's a part of the Omen trilogy. Correct. As well, of course, Thor, Thor. Ragnarok. Yeah. So he's been in quite a few uh trilogies. So we yeah. we speak your name. 
Also, yes. terrific in Peaky Blinders. Uh, currently on television. Uh, that English show. Huh? I've only yeah. watched a few episodes, but he's yes, a good he's villain good. too. When I think Sam Neill, I think of the year 1993, Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park and the piano. And then like a year later, this film. So yeah. this is when he was, we had heard of him. Yeah. And uh, then shortly after this, doing Event Horizon, which is yet another. So it can't be yeah. so it, funny. In the same vein, and I'm sure it's because they saw this movie. Very show. much, very It's in the same vein. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I guarantee they saw him in Mouth of Madness and they were like, <laughs> you know what else you should be in? <laughs> he gets that same um, vocal quality when he's yelling that like Pierce Brosnan gets. He gets that kind of, it's up here, like that kind it's of, up, yeah. yeah. Scott, are you ready to talk about the intricacies of the thing? Yes. 100,000 years ago, it found its way into our galaxy, trapped in the frozen wasteland of Antarctica, and man is the warmest place to hide. It's a really engaging opening. The movie immediately feels like you're in the Arctic. It's claustrophobic. You feel like these guys have been here a long time. It's very bleached white. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And you have dark like most and, horror movies. Yeah. Good point. But a lot of shadow. Good point. Very good, Scott. Yeah. And you have a really cool assortment of supporting characters, some of which would go on to be very prominent, very well known. Yeah. Okay. I just want to rattle off a couple. You got Donald Moffat. Who is the older yes. guy? And I swear he's really a poor man's James Cromwell. No, I ha- said the exact no same fucking thing. Yeah. Literally <laughs> yeah. that phrase, poor man's James Cromwell. You think it's James Cromwell at first. Yeah. Except with bushier eyebrows. Yeah. You should know better, Scott. You're in love with the movie Popeye. You should immediately recognize him as the tax man from Popeye. Come on. Uh-uh. Come yeah. on, yeah. Scotty. You're near in town, right? Call this a town? Yeah. Well, first of all, there's 17 cents new in town tax. And there's 45 cents rowboat under the wharf tax and one dollar leaving your junk lying around the wharf tax. You got Wilford Brimley, and this is really the movie that made him famous. Um, and of course, Charles Hallahan as well. He played the guy whose stomach opened up and oh, yeah. arms yes. came out. Oh, yes. Yeah. That is the best scene of the whole movie. But the point is, you've seen him in a ton of just TV and film. These oh, guys yeah. are, are hardcore character actors. Maybe you are mistaking this for a discussion. Well, I'm going to make it real clear. You two are off this case. I like this first scene. Um, or not the first scene, but when they're uh, he's playing chess wizard. Yeah. Um, which I, I think is supposed to be <laughs> the whole computer is devoted to chess. <laughs> yeah. It's well, a first name, of all, it's a name that. on the computer. <laughs> um, but I think it's supposed to be a metaphor for the rest of the movie, like because he's like, hey, "I gotcha," and then, "Oh no, you were caught." Like he's a cocky guy who yep. thinks he, yeah, you know what I mean. But. I also like that he decides to this convenient little door in the side that he opens up and pours his whole whiskey into the machine. And I was just waiting for somebody to be like, you know, uh, other people like chess wizard. Okay. Yeah. And also other people like whiskey. You're pouring <laughs> down a fucking drain. There's yeah. very little to do here. <laughs> you wreck the whole chess computer. Yeah. How about a nice game of chess? It's just because we're talking about it. The other ridiculous computer scene is when they're showing the cells being taken over by the alien cells. Yeah, yeah that's clearly just asteroids. If you look at it, it's asteroids. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. taking over. <laughs> Here's what we got to do. We got to make a little triangular ship. We shoot it into the cell. I got evidence here. It will shoot these cells into smaller pieces. All right, I'm out of here. Uh, I hear that asteroids machine calling my name from the game room, so peace. This movie, although it's, I think, different from a lot of horror movies, it still has those typical, obviously the audience knows something going on, but the people in the situation refuse to investigate it further. Yeah. So, like, it's like, you know, what do you think happened to that guy when the Norwegian guy crashes and he's like, I don't know, stir crazy, cabin fever. Uh, just stop thinking about it. Like, it just seemed like, let's not even. Uh, don't bother to investigate. It happened. It's over. So let's move on. All right. Move on. Nothing to see here. Please disperse. Did you happen to notice that the first time, or maybe it's the second time, that they go to check on Wilford Brimley, there's just randomly a noose in the middle of the room, and it's never explained why it's there, who it's there, what it's for. Why is there a noose there? I can't. I think it's supposed to. They don't really talk about it, but I saw that too, and I was like, is that like him? Like, look, I'm going to fucking kill myself if you don't let me out of here sort of thing. Yeah. Ah, I'm going to kill myself! Wow. 
I'm going to kill myself, and it's your fault. Um, yo, these effects hold up though in the thing. We were oh, talking about this yeah. before, Phil. Do you know how they did the, the practical effect with the arms coming off? No. I'm gonna tell you. They found a double amputee. And they used him as the body double, put fake arms on him, and then ripped them off, leaving his stump arms there. Wow. That's how it was done. Oh, wow. Pretty cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's ridiculous. I just died on your arms tonight. Must have been something you said. I know Kurt. Yeah, Kurt Russell's the cool guy in this movie, and I even agree with that. But I think he kind of looks dumb with all of his bullshit on. Like, first of all, that hat makes him look like Yosemite Sam. Like, it's yeah. an enormous, ridiculous fucking hat. And then later, he's wearing his hood up, goggles on with the pack. And I'm like, it, it, and then he puts the hat on top of it. I'm like, you look like a cross between Woody and Buzz Lightyear <laughs> from Toy Story. It's fucking ridiculous. Hey, who's got my hat? Look, I'm Woody. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Ah, ha, ah, ha, give me that. Blair had the time to build a spaceship underground in two days out of spare parts. It didn't look done or good. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think there was a lot of work to be done yet on that spaceship. I mean, obviously, with Wilford Brimley, the only thing I kept thinking were diabetes jokes Me the too. entire time. Me too. I've written yeah. like three and like, and, and like, when they cut to him, like, just going bananas and throwing shit out through him, like, quickly, he needs his insulin. <laughs> Two weeks ago, I ran out of vanilla ice cream and struck my wife. And then I find out my wife's been dead for six years. Who the hell did I hit? There's just a scene with uh, Keith David where they're talking about, like, oh, it can make a perfect copy of you. And Keith David's like, oh, if you can make a perfect copy of me or you, then... How do you know it's really me? And they all kind of pause for a second before the conversation continues. And I was just waiting for it. You make a good point. Get him. Ready? Get her. There's a part where they, they go out to, and then they decide there, well, we better start closing the doors. And they start like locking all the doors after they've gone out into the storm. Right. <laughs> the thing I thought of immediately was just, but Master Luke is still out there. <laughs> no, the, don't you know the odds of. His tauntaun is dead by now. I just wanted Kurt Russell on a tauntaun, basically, after that. Yeah. And you can go to hell. You tell him I'm coming, and hell's coming with me, you hear? Hell's coming with me! Also, to, I don't know why, but to me, when he's he's uh, holding that thing of dynamite, and he's yeah. threatening them with it, it just, like, because it looked like... It's clunky. It looks like hot dogs. Yeah, like, like anybody mess with me, I'm lighting this pack of hot dogs up. Like, oh, shit. The other guy should be like, can you, can you just move it a little fur further away from the dynamite? You're really getting <laughs> it close right now. I know, like, you're going to kill us okay, all okay, accidentally. Okay, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, seriously, move it away. What the fuck? To me, and I know we've, uh, I talk, brought this up earlier, of the differing, what the endings are and the idea that Childs might be the guy at the end. I think what feeds into that the most is the first thing he says to him, he goes, are you the only one remaining? And I'm like, that is not a human being thing. Yeah, that's somebody like that's pretty good. He didn't be like, you know, like anybody else make it out. It was, are you the only one remaining? Like, right. I think Childs is definitely the thing at the end. Either of the that, movie. it was just a terrible wooden line reading yeah. right at the end of the movie, <laughs> at the most yeah. critical part. Carpenter secretly like, yeah, he just kind of read the line badly and ruined the whole thing. <laughs> well, that's what I got on the thing. Yeah, I liked it. Um, it was a really good movie. Love it. Love the thing. Right, and that leads us right into. The Prince of Darkness. Yes. Ugh, God. Every particle has an anti-particle. Its mirror image. Its negative side. Maybe he's anti-God, bringing darkness instead of light. Let me tell you, I loved the great <laughs> 80s gear and mullets in the beginning and throughout the oh film. My God. Oh, my It's baby. like required. Delightful. The women have mullets in this movie, too. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. I wrote Everyone's Brock. got hockey hair. Like. Yeah, for, for fuck's sake. Everyone, super why hockey does hair. everyone in this movie look like Yarmir Yager, for God's sake? <laughs> <laughs> the Brian Marsh is the mustache guy, and I wrote down Brian Marsh's dirty, blonde, scraggly porn mustache <laughs> to make up for the fact that Brimley didn't have one in the thing. Is it, is it just me, or like does that entire class like uh his entire class just look like they're all undercover cops <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, they're looking like they're trying to catch a it's, counterfeiter it's the 21 yeah. jump street of its time in a There's church
John Carpenter had just made Big Trouble in Little China before this, so he's like, fuck it. I'm just going to put some of the main characters in this, too. So that's where we see Victor Wong. Yes. All right. Of uh, Three Ninjas fame. Three Ninjas yes. fame, <laughs> Golden Child fame. All yes. right. And um, you also had Dennis Dunn, who was um, the second lead after Kurt Russell in Big Trouble in Little China, the Asian guy. That's the right. Guy that was, so, and he, and, you know, he's the guy that, of course, you know, had to break, we had to break a wall for him to escape. Hey, could you stop narrating uh, what's happening? They can hear you. <laughs> a Jewish mother goes to the airport to meet her daughter. The daughter steps off the plane with an eight-foot-tall Zulu warrior with a bone through his nose. The mother screams, "You fool! I said a rich doctor." <laughs> Early on when we meet Brian Marsh, the mustachioed freak, he's walking across campus and he's talking about that he's going to be a millionaire by the time he's 40 as a doctor of philosophy? What? <laughs> what kind of? Yeah. What? And then the girl's like, mm-hmm. No. Maybe back then. <laughs> no, I can't imagine at any point philosophy no. was a money-making yeah. major. People were at clamoring. No it's the example people give. For why liberal arts colleges are sucky. Now, okay, a positive about this movie is the atmosphere. Because I think the set, which they shot in down in uh, downtown Los Angeles, um, is pretty eerie. And as somebody who lived in Los Angeles, there's a lot of homeless people, so that sort of all checks out. Okay. Oh, you mean the, where homeless people surround a place and won't let you out? Or oh, yeah. Kill you? That, that doesn't happen. But it, it, you know what? There was an auto zone that was closed, and they lived there for a while. <laughs> Get in the zone, homeless zone. Stay out of the zone. I walked to uh, go to a haircut appointment, and I walked came across a a mattress covered in fresh blood. Get in the zone, auto zone. <clears throat> I like when he he first takes him down to see the. Uh, you know, the big tube, the big barber pole. Test tube barber yeah. pole. Um, he, there's all those crucifixes in it. And the first thing is just like, this is the room where we keep all the crucifixes that we find to be too creepy. <laughs> <laughs> We've done four or five yard sales now, and we just can't get rid of these. Nobody wants them, as back, you can imagine. Back on the wall they go. Speaking of which, when they're translating the document and you see it, and even when they show it, it almost looks holographic. And there's it's like really made really up like letters on top of letter. Like it just looks so badly made to look like a language you've never heard of. And he even says... He's like, oh, it's very difficult to read. There's Latin and Greek numbers <laughs> at one point. And I just imagine like, oh, yes, Latin, Greek numbers, wingdings. Uh, that part's in the chiller font. It's very hard to read. <laughs> and then meanwhile, the translator comes up and she even says, I can read it all except for the numbers. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's a one. Wouldn't that's that be seven? <laughs> wouldn't I mean, that be the easiest know. to figure out? There's only so many numbers. Writing upon writing, sometimes two or three times. And improperly erased. At this point, I just wrote down in my notes, these insects are really getting out of hand, yet they're more interesting than any of the actors at all in this movie. Uh, yes, that's true. Yes, they are. Including the female lead and the male lead, who, uh, who have um, contractually obligated chemistry. Oh, that awful scene when, like, he first picks her, picks her up, I guess... When he's like, he's like, oh, that's sexist. He's like, that's right. Confirmed sexist and I'm proud. And then she kind of turns away and he's like, hey, why are you... Why are you being like this now? Like, yeah. first of all, I don't know you at all, dude. <laughs> Second of all, you just told me you were a proud sexist. But of course, it's her. she's like, oh, I don't know. I'm just thinking about something. Else. Like, what is happening? Uh, later, he like, no, Scott, in that scene, he's sexist. And then she kind of walks away and he's like, you know, I was just kidding. No, I just no. met you. How would she know I, that? I, yeah. I, what would be kidding about that? I'm just an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just kidding. No one knows that. Doesn't matter. They go Why don't right, you like they go right to bed. It, yeah. That's, no problems. That boy is a P.I.G. pig. So this is the part of the movie where we're kind of getting the exposition. Where we're learning about the, the test tube. So some crazy things happen during this translation here, okay? The priest, Donald Pleasance, he's basically talking about how the, the church has hidden this concept over the years. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, it was just, it was easier to make evil a concept of the heart in man instead of, you know, a big green test tube that <laughs> is full of liquid. Yeah. Uh, you know, ancient, full of ecto cooler. An ancient green <laughs> test tube just full of, um, of Satan. That yeah. It was easier to sell the idea that bad things were moral as opposed to, you know, this big ancient test tube <laughs> of green, green liquid. Yeah. 
People would be like, what? And people are nodding their heads. They're like, yeah, that sure, that makes, makes sense. Per- having seen the green liquid. I see ecto cooler. Slimer's new fruit drink. You've been warned. Yeah, you like that part where the one guy goes outside and is right before he's attacked by the bugs. So he kind of flees out and then the bugs take him out and he goes, this is caca. And then he slows <laughs> it down and very dramatically goes, Kaka. Kaka. Stupid. <laughs> what in the and hell? Then he becomes the prince of ants. <laughs> of Kaka. The Ant-Man. <laughs> the Ant-Man. So who the hell are you? I'm Ant-Man. Ant-Man. What, you haven't heard of me? No, you wouldn't have heard of me. Later, our friend Brian with the mustache tries to escape out, and the the homeless people attack him, and they have to like pull him up again real fast. It's like, oh yeah, hey, Brian, maybe jump the other fence, you idiot, and run away. There's yeah. another fence. No one's on the other <laughs> side of it. Get away. Maybe go, go get help. Yeah, <laughs> please. We're fucking trapped in here, you idiot. Signal someone. It's daytime. Yell from the window. It's yeah. also downtown L.A., so I really don't know if there's gonna be a lot of people there. Uh, like the end with uh, what's her face gets all filled with the juice, right? And her belly's all filled up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it doesn't <laughs> explode. Every time they come back to her, like her skin's getting like worse and worse. And she right. just looks like, you know, when you put a hot pocket in like the crisper sleeve and <laughs> like the whole time, that's all I could think Ugh. of. Like, looks like awful, flaky, delicious, buttery <laughs> hot pocket. Like, hey, she looks like she's basting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Try lean pockets too. And you know what? Did they even explain the mirror thing, or is suddenly that just introduced into the film? I didn't know what the hell was going on with the little mirror. Yeah. But I guess it's because she was attempting to pull him through, but yeah. the mirror wasn't big enough. <laughs> the mirror yeah. wasn't big enough. Yeah. And let me tell you, when she reaches out and you see <laughs> the devil's big red paw, it's 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 absurd. Yeah, she was going to pull Thanos through. Yeah, she's pulling the Hellboy through, for God's yeah. sake. It's... Yeah. Paw, what do you call it? The paw. The paw. The paw. The hoof. The hoof. Oh, my final point about this movie. Why couldn't she just kick that bitch into the mirror? Yeah, just Luke can kick. Right? What? Like, but wouldn't you know if you tackled someone that you're going to go into that realm and... Sure, she felt some of the evil, but it was in a desperate act. He can't just put his hand through. He has to be... Pulled through by a tiny hand. I need a much smaller mortal person to pull the most evil creature. Catchy. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Kang wins. He loves, uh, I'll say it here, John Carpenter loves axes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even like the homeless people when they show up in this movie, for some reason they all have axes. Like, where, where do they, they get, get those yeah. axes? Yeah, that's where a really fuck? odd thing. Where yeah. do the homeless people get all the axes from? Meanwhile, Alice Cooper's killing that guy on a bike. And then the next scene, he's got an axe. Like, there where was, was probably, the axe? There's probably Where's a that? hardware store that, like, one of the schizophrenics owned, and he's like, come and get all the axes. Yeah. It was probably, like, you know, See, another then, tube of green <laughs> shit in the bottom yeah. of a hardware store somewhere. <laughs> one guy came late, he just handed him a hoe. This is all I have left. <laughs> Sorry. Gentlemen, are we ready to rock into In the Mouth of Madness? I, I think so. Okay. The riots began because the stores could not meet the demand of Sutter Kane's novel, in the mouth of madness. What do you got for me, Scotty? Well, they use uh, We've Only Just Begun at the beginning of this, which is reminiscent of the movie that I've talked about about a hundred times on this podcast, uh, 1408. Yes. They also use that, but uh, more consistently. They don't use the one. Yeah, time. but they kind of turn it into a joke here. Yeah. Well, because it's you the know. carpenters. Yeah. It's a pretty funny joke. I like yeah. that. So what got you into uh, carpentering? Carpentering? <laughs> I guess I'd have to say Jesus. He was a carpenter, and I just figured if you're going to follow in someone's footsteps, who better than Christ? I, for one, am pretty tired of bad guys with the surname or first name Cain. Cain. Enough already. Enough. <laughs> Cain. It's so. It's all I was thinking about. Yeah. Robocop 2, <laughs> yeah. End, end of Days, yeah. you know, different movies. Just- Undertaker's brother. Well, he's the bad. He's the bad in Cain and Abel, right? Like, yeah, he's the so bad brother. It's yeah. a it's a biblical throwback every time. It's a biblical allusion. Should we put on a list of yeah. names you can't use anymore? Right. Brandy, Heather, Channing, Brianna, Amber, Sabrina, Melody, Dakota, Sierra, Bambi, Crystal, Samantha, Autumn, Ruby, Taylor, Tara, Tammy, Lauren, Charlene, Chantel, Courtney, Misty, Jenny, Krista, Mindy, Noel, Shelby, Trina, Reba, Cassandra, Nikki, Kelsey, Shauna, Jolene, Erling, Claudine, Savannah, Casey, Dolly, Kendra, Kali, Chloe, Devin, Emily, fucking Becky. Nope. They get in the car. And they go on what seems to be the longest car drive in history. It never comes to an end. They get there, and Happy Gilmore's grandma 
runs yes. the hotel. Yes. Yes. Another Twin Peaks alum. Yes, she's also a creeper in Twin Peaks. She's a real freak in it's, this one. Oh yeah. I love that tilt down Ew. shot of her like uh her husband like sort of grabbing her legs. That may be the best shot of the movie. Uh, See, it's genuinely disturbing. It's not more of that. And then we get Vigo. Yeah. That actor Vigo I, is Vigo. Vigo the Parmesan. What? Death is but a doorway, time is but a cutlet. I'll be all over <laughs> that shit. And he comes in, and uh, I guess his kid has been stolen by Stephen King, basically. My boy. We have to get my boy back from the author. He writes books. Oh, no. Reality is not what it used to be. Oh, Jesus, this place makes my head hurt. There's a scene where she's uh, interrogating those uh, or I think, uh, I think it's Sam Neill is interrogating the kids. Yes. Right. He's like, where do you come from? Where do you, Where do you go? go? <laughs> like, Where do you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? Look. But I'd been for Cotton Eye Joe. I've been married a long time ago. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? The, the introduction of Sutter Kane is not very Sutter. It's very door opens and here he is. And it's also assumed that he's evil because they cast this actor who is undoubtedly going to play a villain. Phil, he's foreign, so obviously he's evil. <laughs> exactly. I just, I just I feel there could have been more. Come on. Yeah. Whatever. That's movie rules, we're baby. Okay. We're Jesus. okay. We're okay. Sam Neill, still not believing any of this is happening at all, just thinks it's the most, clearly the most elaborate yeah. play ever conceived. So I guess you brought in 200 extras, a million dollars worth of special effects, and a church to fool me. Where's good. Steven Spielberg? Good one, everyone. Good. Okay. Good promotion. All right. I'll read the book already. Just give it to me. Just a, an open bar and like the local prostitute would have been enough for his character. It's enough for you, Phil. It's not enough for everybody. That's not, I mean, I'm not a... Yeah, sure. Can I ask you, if you won all the money, what would you do with it? Bunch of hookers and cocaine. Oh. There's a scene when he's in town and he yells at the person who's like, I want to see your supervisor. And I was like, take it easy, Karen. Okay, look. <laughs> you think it was a situation where that wasn't necessary, where there was no. some, some prejudice? Yes, I think so. Well, I yeah. think you're allowed to be prejudiced against people that are zombified and or evil spirits from other I dimensions. Guess, but I'm not going to ask to see their supervisor. But you're in their town, you know? You, but Scott, I don't care if the person is just selling lemonade. If that's a zombie, I'm calling the police. I, don't, I shouldn't feel guilty about that. Well, he's just selling lemonade. Is he hurting anyone? Well, I mean, it's a dead creature that specifically is out for brains. According to what? Me the media. Movies, television, books, yeah. all that shit. They're selling lemonade. Something else is up. Name something you know about zombies. Christy. Black. This movie is very reminiscent of another movie from a horror superstar that came out the same year, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Oh, yeah. Where yes. it's got that meta movie within a movie good. feel. I like yeah. New Nightmare. And they're playing themselves, versions of themselves. And Freddy's like a, an, an elevated kind of tulpa for Freddy. He's but not the a real Freddy. But the concept is the same as this movie, too. The idea that if it's enough people believe in an evil thing, it manifests that, that evil spirit. Yes. That uh, the belief itself creates it. It's the same idea. And these movies only came out a couple of months apart. So Yeah. Wes Craven's in it, too. Yeah. yeah. It, it really is. Um, it sort of resembles where this movie gets to at the end, where Sam Neill looks up and he realizes that his life is... Right. He's living fiction. Yeah. So... That he let him doing this was actually filming the movie. Like, yeah, yeah who filmed it? I don't, what? Did you not see the camera? <laughs> this is like the office. Like, someone the still had to film and... you. That yeah. didn't just. Did you not see that your life was a movie? So it's like the Truman <laughs> Show too. Almost. There's a lot yeah. of different echoes going through this thing. Yeah, and none of it makes sense. Not, not really. What the hell are you talking about? Who are you talking to? I liked Lit Fire Can Alley. That alley they keep going back to where the <laughs> spawn alley, where the cop is just beating up someone and there's 10 yeah. lit fire cans and as yeah. if that yes. is any alley in the history of mankind. Yeah. Welcome, Harry, to Diagon Alley. Notice how the heaving evil door is akin to the evil tube in the previous film that... Yeah, like haunted mansion prop of, yeah. of a monster trying to get out from behind a door. Like, yeah, that? It bending a little bit. Yeah, like. yeah, that, yeah that, that's some Halloween store shit yeah, for sure. Seriously. Like, that's foam. Hey, you. Yes, you. Over here. Care to see something really scary? Heston's like, everything that's happened up till now didn't happen. 
I, What's wrong with you? Like I yeah, I like that he's been in the office telling him what happened this entire time. He's like, mm, that's interesting. That's great. Here's the thing. I never sent you like he never stopped him at yeah, any point. Exactly. Like, what, what are you, are you talking whoa, whoa, whoa. about? Who's Styles? What are you talking about? Like <laughs> he, he told him, the whole he story. He the whole story, and then he's like, a couple of problems with this. <laughs> hey, I have a few notes. You didn't come in here. Hey, <laughs> gee. I never hired that woman. <laughs> I also like at the end too, he's like, What well, do you read? Do you read his book? And he's like, nah, nah, I don't read that. I don't like that kind of crap. <laughs> like, somebody's cooking something, huh? You smell something? <gasps> oh, shit. Oh, shit. Someone's burning something. I put in macaroni and cheese bites for us. Oh, no. Oh. Horror movies rebel against Hollywood, and no one knows that better than John Carpenter, who breaks all the rules and makes up his own. Gentlemen, we have gone down quite the rabbit hole of creepiness, scariness, and silliness. We've laughed, we've cried, we've laughed again. And we're back at the beginning, which is to say, Scott, I'm going to have to give it a 1-3-2, uh, a I think. Okay. It's going to be my order. I think because the thing uh, is a classic, really well told, a lot of good tension, sticks to the story. It's a good story. It's simple. Prince of Darkness is uh, garbage. Uh, it's just too many, too many things happening and too many characters I couldn't give a fuck about. And they don't really, they don't do a good job of making you like these characters at all. So when they die, you don't care. Uh, and Mouth of Madness, again, like I said, I, it's been kind of stuck in my craw a little bit. Like I keep thinking about it because I think it's interesting. And of course, great performance, I think, from Sam Neill kind of saves that movie a little bit. So we're going to go, you said again, what was it? One, three, two. Unsuccessful unsuccessful i would say scott i'm gonna it keep doesn't it, work as a trilogy in my mind i'm gonna keep it incredibly simple for you i agree with you 100 percent. i'm also going one three two for the exact same reasons i'm gonna say it's unsuccessful for the exact same reasons it's our first director's trilogy that we're considering unsuccessful usually these trilogies from directors are put together often because they're the best work of that director and that's not the case here this no. is really a classic with two shoddy films tagged on so uh, that's where I am. And Phil, I'm going to go one, two, three. Uh, I love the thing. It's a classic movie. And as he goes on in this trilogy, you can sort of see where his strengths lie. And they lie in what's unsaid. Prince of Darkness has a lot of good ideas, sort of unrealized. But the root of that movie is Donald Pleasance. And um, you're a big Pleasance fan. I'm a big Pleasance I see guy. how yeah, that yeah. would. Uh, All right. The third one. I mean, Sam Neill's terrific, but. Uh, that one just feels tacked on. And I feel, I think the gore hurts it and a lot of the weird shit that they try to do overall, I'm going to say, I think this was a successful trilogy for me. The second and third film were good enough to sustain the idea that thematically this works. Oh, this works uh, as a representation from Carpenter. No, but they all have a function that they successfully pull off. I mean, they're, it, these are three different types of apocalypses. I will, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because I like so many of his other movies. I'm biased. Yeah, I think that's a real, it's a hell of a stretch, Phil, and it's very apparent that you're biased, and that's disgusting to me, but <laughs> that'll be fine. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to the Trilogy Podcast. As always, we appreciate your patronage. Make sure to follow us on Instagram. We really try and match what we do on the podcast with what we post on Instagram day to day, and Scott? Yeah, check out Twitter. Uh, we dropped some interesting polls about... Uh, uh, the current trilogy that we have out, and uh, a bunch of other stuff. So check it out. And really heed the music you're hearing now, folks. There's a lot of trilogies yet to talk about, and truly, we've only just begun. I'm Vin. And I'm Scott. And I'm Phil, your field correspondent. Sometimes. <laughs> mm, this is beautiful. If only we had the sounds of zombies ripping this person apart. Mm. Mm. Shame. Brown. We only begun before the rising sun.